RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, on Reality Check Radio, over the last uh, period of time since Cyclone Gabriel hit, we have been dropping into Hawke's Bay periodically to find out where folks are at, where the recovery aftermath is at, and we're doing that again right now. And we're welcoming two guests onto our program. Louise Parsons, Hawke's Bay resident. Louise, welcome. Thank you. And Daniel Gale, Estale Holiday Park owner-operator. Hi, Daniel. G'day. How are you? Good. Nice to have you both. How are you both? Louise, you can go first. Um, I'm good. I'm good. Busy. Um, probably since day one, we've all been very busy, head down, trying to help the community. Um, I was one of the lucky houses that didn't get flooded, but my whole neighbourhood was devastated, um, and community, of course. So because I wasn't flooded, I've been able to help. And there's been need for help everywhere from, um, you know, first it was about crime. There was a lot of looting going on. There still is. Um, then it was funding. Then it was obviously cleanup. Um, all of the things that we've had to help with has been community-led and basically survival. Um, it's it's kind of kicking and screaming and asking for help from the government is what we've been having to do from day one and still right. still doing it. Still doing it, right. And, Daniel, you got hit pretty hard, I understand. How are you doing right now? Yeah, uh, me and my family are okay. Um, we were evacuated on the night we self-evacuated um we had our camp clear by 7 a.m monday morning uh we knew that our place would fl- most likely flood given the forecast rain um however i wasn't aware that the forecast rain would be nearly doubled and um so yeah uh, we've lost our home and our business and we've moved into town so yeah it's been quite the upheaval and um i've been involved in it got stuck in with the locals, cleaning up. Um, you know, my, my whole family has suffered a lot of loss, um, my brother and my parents included. So, yeah, we've uh, taken a bit of a beating, to be honest, but so we'll keep like, going. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. We're sorry to hear about that. And, um, our, you know, our thoughts and sympathy is with you and everyone else affected um, like you have been to, to various degrees. So thank you for describing that. Okay, so let's... Uh, talk about how things are now. Back to you, Louise. You mentioned uh, just a few moments ago the whole list that we've been talking about already. It, it doesn't sound like too much has happened. Is that kind of the There's been a lot happening, but it's like I said, it's about the, the community making it happen. Yeah. Um, I, I think the councils have been really good. Um, they've been doing as much as they can with the, you know, the level of power that they've been given. Um, Which is how much? Well, it's really down to what the the government say, you know. Um, I mean, from the minute it was a state of emergency, the councils are shut out, and it's 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 taken to you know a central civil defence. Does that make any sense? No, no and you can probably ask Daniel more about this, but um, absolutely not. They were making decisions for a local community that they knew nothing about, and it was only think. Goodness for the our local mayors that um, stupid decisions weren't made, and I, I mean I don't really want to talk for them, but it should have been community led. Which, you know, with the whole zoning um, process that's coming, it, you know, the meeting we had the other night with the the regional council, the Napier City Council, and the um, 
Hastings District Council, it, it felt like it was being community-led, but they can only do so much dependent on the decisions that come from uh, central government, which is how much funding they're going to get, what's the split going to be, um, all of these decisions, whereas, you know, the local council know what's best for our communities. Yeah, and are they... Did you pick up that they are frustrated as well and, and feeling like their hands up. are tied? Yeah, of? yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what they're trying to do is get out to the community and find out what's happening because they didn't to start with. But, you know, in Esk Valley and Bayview, our area, we've been trying really hard to work with them and that's it's been successful. Daniel, what do you make of that central control? Does it make any sense to you? In regards to civil defence, yeah. no, no, it needs to be local led um, and not just at a hook bay level either. It needs to go back to what we used to have. I believe in 2015, it divested into Nature slash Hastings on its own. It really needs to be. Uh, you need to have your community civil defence leaders. Um, my parents used to be one of one of several out in our valley when I was younger. And, uh, yeah, that all disappeared uh, somewhere around 15 is what I believe. Yeah, I guess that question, like I ask that question all the time because it doesn't make any common sense. And that's, and I think most common sense people, your average person in the street, uh, it's a no-brainer. So we're we're trying to work out in our own clumsy way why you would um, operate it that way unless you just wanted to be in charge. Well, hasn't that happened everywhere well, in our in our country at the moment? Everything's been centralised, hmm. you know, down to the um, politics. The all sorts of different areas have been centralised, so that the government has a say in everything that's happening. You know, it seems that community don't have any power anymore, and decisions that are affecting our lives. It's just in so, fact, why wouldn't why wouldn't you want the community to look after itself? That, well, that's what's been happening. And be responsible for itself. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's oh, been happening. Ups. But, you know, it, like I said, everything's been a fight. If, if the community needs funding, um, a lot of these people were up to their ears in silt. And, you know, the funding, it, it all goes before they even have a chance to know what's out there, let alone they've been through absolute trauma. And, the you know, the logical part of your brain just does not function. So for them to sit down in front of a computer to try and apply for funding and know what's out there, you know, the, the Chamber of Commerce funding was all gone before any of the businesses that have been actually flood affected had a chance to apply. And that was because people that were also entitled to it, but they hadn't lost their houses, they'd lost, you know, power, so they lost revenue from their businesses. They were in the right headspace to apply for it. So by the time any of our community went for it, there was none left. And we've spoken to people who indicated yeah. there was ambiguity in the criteria, the way they, the, the decisions were interpreted, and then the accountability when they wanted to know why we missed out and the other guy doesn't even live in the area, got the money, that they weren't mm-hmm. forthcoming. Maybe that's changed in the month or so yeah, since we found out about that. Kind of given up on to be fair. Okay. Daniel, what I'd, ha- like, to, I'd <laughs> like to comment on, on that. Okay, go. <laughs> yeah, so... We had the holiday park, obviously. We applied for the full $40,000. We ended up being granted 25000 after we initially got offered something around ten, and we appealed it multiple times. Um, our camp's entirely shut. Um, 
My I have silt that is up to the shower heads in one toilet block. It is completely chocker. Um, my house has been severely damaged but is repairable. Another toilet block severely damaged uh, but the structure is still standing as it's made out of cinder blocks. Um, and then I find out just recently, I believe today, that $8.9 million from the Chamber of Commerce money that was unspent is now going back to, uh, to the central government. Unspent. 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 Uh, and we appealed three right. times and got given nothing extra. There are holiday parks further down the road in Napier that didn't even get flooded, and they got the same amount as us. Wait, wait, wait just on. because they wait, wait on. What the hell is going on here? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, but I'd definitely like to know. And is anyone saying anything? Because they'll be reasonable questions. Be the first thing you ask. Apparently, the um, Official Information Act doesn't apply to a chamber, but it is. Oh, that's handy. That's very handy. But the the chamber have been granted this contract by MB, so I think MB does come under the Official Information Act. I've been trying to get that information from um, Stuart Nash, and um, I'm waiting for that because he's actually been quite helpful. Um, but you know, he's sitting outside caucus at the moment so as much as he wants to be helpful it's a little bit difficult for him he's not in the sand pit anymore well and it's interesting because which brings me on to another um frustration for our community is the uh, oh, nearly swore then is the policing you know Stuart Nash has just released uh, done a press release about how you know like they're crowing about how many cops we've got you know that the, they've reached their target of 1800 cops it's a leaking bucket, you know. They're, they're coming out the bottom because all the good cops are leaving because they're so frustrated. 20% more cops, 40% more crime, you know. I, I'm not an academic, but it doesn't take rocket science to work out that I think the people in charge right now are the criminals, and it's not the cops' fault. It is the justice system because these people are in our communities. They're looting. They are ram raiding. They're doing all sorts of things, and it's since this government came in. They came in and they repelled a whole bunch of really good laws. They lowered the, ra- uh, the sorry, they um, raised the ra- they raised the age of criminal offending, which means that these kids are now ram raiding and doing what the hell they like because there's literally no consequences for them. And what worries me with our community is we are, you know, what the minister of police is saying is that it's back to normal. So crime, this crime is normal in their eyes. It's not normal in our eyes. And that's okay if that's normal, but when you're living in a very vulnerable community, and I'm talking vulnerable, and some ferals come into your property and steal and intimidate, that's just not on. You know, we've been asking and asking for the for the um, defence force to come, and it's been met with pretty much gaslit, no reply. Because that and would be little the first, hasn't even impl- replied to any emails. That would be the first go-to. You get the army in, and it was here to start with for rescue and for distributing food. And no, but you know, for the po- army, for policing. If it's not possible to do it with the police, you have to have some form of um, credible. Um, yeah. um, if it's a coercive arm of the state, it might as well be the army again. Another yeah. no-brainer. But sadly, our government stood up in a public meeting about crime and said, "If we do that, it shows that um, the police have lost control." Okay, it's all about how it looks. But anyway, uh, we want them here for cleanup as well. And you know, while they're here in their uniform, they look—you know—they look the part. So it would keep people out. Okay, Daniel, what happened on the night? Okay, so well, in the lead up, it was blatantly apparent that 
Cyclone Gabriel was going to be a big deal. It was all over the news for basically an entire week. So I started to uh, prepare over the road and get everything tidied up so I could move some of my storage caravans over there. Um, I cancelled all my bookings that I had for that weekend, uh, for the Sunday night, because I didn't want anyone here on the Monday. And um, we started to evacuate everybody out of the camp basically on the Saturday and Sunday while it was nice and sunny and it was easy to do so. Took all, you know, my cars and motorbikes out and stuff like that, even put everything up in my shed up high, um, expecting something like a cyclone bowler event with a river rise of about 7.2 metres, which would put half a metre of water over my property. That's a huge rise. That's a huge rise. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, just enough to do a bit of, be an inconvenience really, and still leave a bit of mud behind, but and silt. But um, what we got was, as it got closer to the time and the predictions came in that it was going to be three to 400 mils of rain, I knew that I was definitely going to get a cyclone bowler style event at my place. Um, and so I prepared accordingly. Um, and on the day, on, on Monday at 7am, had my last two residents leave um, from the camp and there was, we, we towed out all the caravans, cars, etc. And uh, basically, me and my mate sat around for the day knowing what was coming and we just stayed there to make sure that no unsuspecting tourists drove in, parked up and got themselves in trouble. Uh, and around 6.30 at night, I let civil defence know that the river was rising rapidly and um, I'd been getting the updates from from the regional council and coming started there. And uh, so I got a 3pm update, a 6pm update, and then by around about 10.30, um, it was coming up the back of my property, flooding the normal procedure. I went and turned the main power off and left the property. Went up to my parents, uh, who are up on the hill, and um, I was thinking, oh, geez, maybe I should put something on Facebook here, but I didn't want to panic everybody, and I had no information at hand to, to do so. Um, so I went to sleep, and uh, within about another hour, I had people ringing me up, and I went down to check on them on, on the main road, um, and the fire brigade had been through telling people to leave. So got my sister and Laura and my brother and their kids, and they they went to go up the main road to come back towards my parents' place, and by this stage, the water was uh, up to the bonnet of a land cruiser down the main road and we had the gates shut on us, and we had to push them open and get out and get up and gone. Sorry, um, the gates shut later. on you? What, what was all that about? The gate? Who, do, who did that? State OA5, the, con, you know, the contractors. So, did they not think that there could be people behind the gate? Well, no, I suppose not. But mm. anyhow, so we got up and out, and then uh, – I've heard from my neighbours within 15 minutes of that, the meter of the water had risen another metre um, on top of, at this point, it was already at about eight metres. So that takes us up to around about the nine metre mark at somewhere around one or two in the morning. And um, at that point, the telemetry system broke off the bridge above us. And uh, at that point, there's still nothing happened. We'd lost power where we were up at my parents. It was pitch black, couldn't see a thing. And um, I'd gone to bed with the, you know, earlier on I'd gone to sleep with the uh, 
seen the notice from civil defence that they were watching the river and they'd evacuate people if they needed to. And, okay, uh, and you'd already done it you, you, at your local level on your property, your business. You'd already done that hours and hours ago, right? A whole day ago. A whole day ago. The day yeah. prior. Where were they? Yeah, basically. Where were they? Where, where were who? Well, you know, they who are sending out the, the civil defence, sending out the messages. If you, if you, if you were able well, to do that a day ahead, then where were they? Well, they sent one out at 5.30 when it was to the gutters of the houses. And um, prior to that, and uh, they did, the the Bayview Fire Brigade got sent out and they were about 11.30, somewhere between 11 and midnight, they were telling people to get out of the houses. Um, but, yeah, and the, the police had been around some other areas and got some people out, but others got missed. Um but the big downfall in my mind is that when the river got to, say, nine metres, no, no one made the call or had the local knowledge to push the panic buttons and get everybody out. Weeks later, I found out that I had an email that came through at 11.30 keeping them at night, keeping in mind that I'd left at 10.30 at night, so I didn't see it. Um, I found that email, and it was an update from Met Service at... 9.30, that went to Civil Defence Council, 50-something people, and um, I was one of those people but never saw it, and uh, said at nine, the 9 o'clock update from Met Service, which I never saw, said there was another two to 300 mils to come on top of what had fallen. And by that stage, it was probably already around the 300 mark. So that was the time to push the panic button at when they got that at 9.30, seeing what was coming. Must have gone to but spam. That. <laughs> hey, those emails yeah. must have gone to spam or something because there's no one looking at them. I mean, you missed it, but you yeah. were busy. Um, the responsibility, yeah. if you're official, is to be monitoring every damn piece of information, especially from Met Service, you'd think. Yeah, so had I seen it, I would have put that post up on Facebook yeah. and we'd be having a different conversation. Okay, so... so, so my, so um, pe people, you know, lives were lost. Is that the crucial yeah, factor so. because of that delay, obviously? Oh, uh, we, we could have had a lot more prevention. I mean, at 9.30, people still could have got their pets, their cars, their, you know, their essential belongings and got out easy. A flood doesn't just happen instantly like, say, a tsunami does. Yet we've got tsunami plans for the whole country, what we really need, and not, I'm not just talking about here, mm. flood plans for the entire country. Tons of people live on, on the river plains. And if we had automated systems that they got set off at certain levels, they had an evacuation plan, that, you know, when we're talking about risk to life, that's a great way to mitigate it. And the zoning is, always talks about risk to life. And so I look at my campground and I look at what we did which is part of our consent of having the campground there. And, you know, I followed those plans. Um, we got everyone out. There was no risk to life on that part. Um, I need to modify it now, so instead of it would only take them out to where what used to be deemed safe, I'd take them way out the valley and modify it. But, you know, if you can, if you can put in a plan with um, backups and fail-safes, you, you can make it safe to live. It's not like a tsunami where... You know, a tsunami happens and you have a short period of time. Mm. 
we knew that there was going to be a big storm. We watched the river rise over, uh, you know, six, seven hours. That's a long, long time to be able to get out. So, yeah, well, and yeah. that that point you made about the telemetry from the bridge was it that was disconnected as the the water got over a certain level. If up to well, that, the, the water smashed it off. Yeah. Oh, well, smashed it off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but surely you're looking at that information up to that point, and then when it when it when it goes away, it, there's only one conclusion to draw. I, I would have thought that you know. Yeah, it's time to hit the panic stations and get out. Okay. All right. Um, it, it, will you have your campground restored at any time? What, what, what's happening there, or is this now falling under the um, the zoning issues? Yeah. So uh, currently, the red zone only applies to residential properties. Uh, then they're talking. They're talking about. Uh, mixed-use properties, which I think mine will fall into because we lived there and we operated the business. And then they're talking about commercial properties like, say, the fuel stop out on the main road where no one lives or pan pack. Um, so they weren't a, the councils weren't able to give us a definition of what mixed-use was at our meeting, unfortunately. Oh. Um, I don't know what that means in terms of if it's not safe for somebody else to live in the valley in a residential house, your conclusion would be that it's not safe to live live there if you're mixed use yeah, or on a campground for that matter. Um, if, if, if sleeping there is the rule, I suppose they would red zone me out. Um, the question would be, who's going to pay for my loss of business? And it's not something I can relocate somewhere else. It's not like apple trees that I, re- I can replant in the valley. Um, I realise I'm the outlier there. Um, but on the flip side of things, on the proof that if you have a evacuation plan and you follow it, there is no risk to life. Yeah, which you proved. Yes. Hmm. The only risk to life is when you sit around and do nothing. <laughs> or yeah, but, do which anything. is what civil defence did. Yeah. That's exactly what – well, they didn't do nothing, but we didn't get the um, – the alert on our phones until 5 30 in the morning. And by then, everyone was sitting on their rooftops. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a hard one to um, to let go without getting too sort of steamed up about it, I have to say. And it's probably a bigger topic. It's, and I, you know, I know there's going to be reviews after reviews, but um, yeah, there's definitely some. Well, who's going to admit? Who's going to admit that their bungling costs lives? Who's going to admit it? Yeah. It's not an easy yeah. thing to face up to, is it? No, no. Well, well, we, but yeah, we we can do better, and we can do better for all the communities. Like the Taradale stop banks nearly burst in town. If uh, like they were within centimeters of going over, and had that happened, we wouldn't be talking about the Esk Valley or Pukitap or Dartmoor. We'd be talking about the thousands of lives in Taradale that would have been lost. Um, oh, so, that, yeah. where's the you know we need a plan that once a, like a river of that size or there's communities living near it, whether it's got stock banks or not, that when it gets to this level, we act and or or it happens automatically like tsunami sirens. Clearly, though, Take away the human element. Yeah, paint little blue stripes on the road. Um, clearly, this uh, shows in the full light of day that centralising. This command and control just 
it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Right? No. It doesn't work, no. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, okay. So um, back to you, Louise. You mentioned crime before, mm-hmm. and those are the anecdotal reports we've had, though that's been played down, I think, by even the police commissioner. What sort oh, of- played down, more like head in the sand. sand. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, got, he's got a lot to keep his head in the sand over. Not uh, just she, Ginny Anderson. Oh, the minister. I was thinking of the commissioner. Oh, but the commissioner. Okay. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. He was he was happy talking as well. Yeah. Um, so, okay, there's crime and then there's crime. I think you mentioned, what, intimidation, um, obviously theft, mm-hmm. and, you know, no regard for people's situation, obviously. Mm. Who are these criminals? Who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Yeah, what, what what part of the community? Who are they? Is there any pattern to it? Uh, I mean, the gang members, or are they just opportunists? I don't know who they are. They're not people that I certainly mix with. No, um, I, never, I wasn't suggesting <laughs> that. No, but I don't. I don't know who they are. Um, it, I mean, you know, I'm not a I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, but it probably isn't too difficult to work it out. I'd say it's pretty organised. Um, oh, so but, you think it was organised? Oh, I think it is organised because they. Um, or opportunists. I think it's a bit of both, really. You know, we went from when the cyclone first happened and it was completely a blackout, you know, we had people on home detention that couldn't be monitored. So they were, woohoo, let's go. Um, and there were all sorts of things happening. I mean, we've only scratched the surface of what's happening. But now that I've sort of been out there talking about it, I've had so many people come to me saying, oh, my God, you should have heard about this that was happening at the time. Um, so I think that was just opportunist criminal fraternity that saw the opportunity and um and ran with it and then they came into our communities they were taking videos they were um you know casing out joints they were figuring out which places were flooded so that they could come back and take whatever wasn't bolted down and what was bolted down because they unscrewed things and take them too it just goes on and on and on and you know the the whole thing about we had to you know, really ask for help. We had to have a big community meeting to say, how about we get some more police out here? You know, I mean, Stuart Nash was sacked for saying that, by saying to Andrew Croster, hey, we need more, we need more resources out here. This was after the cyclone. He got sacked for it. It's what the community needed, you know? It's just crazy. How can we explain that? Um, oh, look, I have my theories, but... They don't want to admit they've lost control. And, you know, that They never they, had it because all never, their structures that they put in place were never going to work anyway. Well, exactly. And, um, you know, when the cyclone happened and, and I saw for myself the, the looting and stuff that was going on, um, I mean, it disturbed me so much that, again, I just I go back to the fact that it's a vulnerable community and... You know, I was told by the powers to be that we were, it was anecdotal and prove it. You notice prove I it. used that word and I what, used that what, before when I said we've heard anecdotally because that's what everyone oh, yeah, anecdotal. Yeah. But there's always some truth in anecdotal. Well, always. it wasn't anecdotal because like I said, okay. I saw it for yeah. myself. And then we had a public meeting two weeks after the cyclone and there was about 350 of our local residents there and I was – we did it so that rather than being accused of it being anecdotal, the residents that were affected told the stories to the police minister, to the police. Um, uh, what, is I this Nash or the, or, the, or the new one? It was Nash at yeah. the time. Right. It right. was Nash at the time. And he really listened. And 
Jeanette Park was there and she really listened and we got action straight away. So, you know, when they say that the reporting of crime was down and, and then it came back to normal, you've got to remember for four days, no one could report any crime. <laughs> <laughs> there were no comms, including the cops. The cops didn't have comms. Yeah. And then, you know, we had a, a 105. Oh, the cops didn't have comms? No, they couldn't even monitor the, um, they couldn't even monitor the people on home D because there was no power. Um, the night of the cyclone, they didn't have comms. It was, it was crazy stuff. I mean, and, you know, I'm not taking away from the fact that it was a big event. Of course. You know, it was yep. monumental. So, and we all appreciate that, that it was <laughs> beyond anybody's expectation what happened. But the fact that, this is, you know, this stuff's not happening. It was a slap in the face. If you take on the big jobs and you take on the big salaries and if you sign up for it, you got to do it. Yeah, you do. But, you know, it's clearly people are, are, are not, they're inadequate to have those jobs because I've seen more heroes and more intelligence coming from the people in our community that have done it for nothing. You know, I've been 24-7. I know Daniel has as well. I'm doing it for nothing because, you know, someone's got to do it. Um, and we've got a bit of common sense in our community. So, um, and, you know, that's the thing. We've been speaking to the young fella that was um, held up at gunpoint, and Andrew Costa said it didn't happen, and he made a mistake, and I'll give him that. He made a mistake because there were two incidences at night with weapons, and I'm talking guns. Yeah. And so the report that went to the Prime Minister, Andrew Costa got it wrong and so did the Prime Minister and said it never happened. Now, for that young fella who I've met and I've been helping, that was more traumatising than the incident itself. And that was pretty traumatising. Because what happened was the backlash. People were saying, you lied. You know, it was a gang-related issue. He's in a, He's not in a gang area, but he knows people in gangs. So, you know, he was absolutely slated for that. We have asked and asked for an apology, and I've just recently asked again because I know that Chris Hipkins is apparently due to come back to Hawke's Bay, and I've said 10 minutes of your time, we'll do it without media. I haven't even had a response. Just 10 minutes and say sorry to this young fella so he can get on with his life. No response. Well, look and they've admitted that they were wrong. Look how he treated people the last three years. Don't be surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised to be here. Okay. Daniel, did you see any, just curious, did you see any of this sort of like standover tactics, intimidation, crime related to this firsthand? Uh, so being in the valley, our, we were blocked off from basically everybody for nearly a week. We didn't have uh, any, uh, we had no cell phones, no, well, Telephone poles are gone, so no internet, no no anything for over a week, and we had no power for thirty days, so wow. pretty impossible to report anything. Yeah, um, in the early piece, but um, going further down the track, yeah, we had uh, um, me and several of the locals. We managed to round up a guy that was basically trying to steal the catalytic converters off some of the wrecked cars, and his mate was running around in one of the local houses down the road hiding in there because they sort of got caught or disturbed and uh, he ended up being arrested. So, um, What age were they? Yeah. Do we know? Uh, they were, that, those people were in their mid-20s, mid I'd right. guess. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, and people have been through uh, some of the local businesses looking for copper. I know somebody's been through my ablution block looking for the hot water cylinder. <laughs> However, that was buried under metres of silt. Um, too much effort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way too much. He could have yeah. dug out my toilet block for me. Yeah, it would have been, nice. been nice. 
All right. Now, but, um, yeah. Now let's get to this um, to to sort of wind up our chat. This um, hotly anticipated zoning decision, which is on the way, which I believe has been delayed, has it? I don't think it's been delayed. Um, or, you, or you're waiting eagerly. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people. There's there's a small portion of our community in zone two. Um, the bulk of us have been put in zone three. Um, so I think it's in three weeks' time we're going to know something. I oh, know the 14th we're meant to know more about it. Yeah. And then by the end of the month, I believe we will know something about the payout offers. However, um, like I said earlier, that's only about residentials. So mm. there's more questions and answers um, in regards to mixed use, horticultural land. Explain, yeah. Um, yeah, so we have to play the waiting game on that. Um, it'd be nice to know a time frame on that so that we can mm. see where we're at. So does that mean in terms of what you were doing before, Daniel, your business, and I imagine it was quite an amazing business. You would have met incredible people and, you know, it's it's a lifestyle that uh, many would like to have, though it comes with responsibility, obviously. is it? Do you think that's all over for you now? I honestly don't know. Um, I don't want it to be over. I bought nearly, not um, me and my family, we had, you know, hosted nearly 10,000 guests a year through for the Hawke's Bay. Um, for both medium term, for workers, for overnighters. Um, and so we take that out in the market. There's um, even more pressure on there, on the system as such. And, um, yeah, like you mentioned, it is a good lifestyle. I was I got to spend a lot of time with my kids. Um, yeah. I have to go work nine to five, so it's a bit of a downer for me. I've had to move <laughs> to town. I like to, I like to live in the country. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and if if we're not allowed to run that or live on our land, um, or we aren't able to get insurance, or, you know, it feels like we don't really have much choice, and it's not really that voluntary. No. It feels like, no. Basically, you're pushed by yeah. financial means. Who, who can afford to spend 200000 rebuilding your house to not have insurance for anything? I mean, if we could get fire and theft insurance, sure, I'd go back. Uh, I could live without flood insurance because I know the risk. Yeah. Yeah, you sure do. So More than anyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I want to go home. I want to live there. I'm not worried. I know what to do again. Although, but we have to protect you from yourself. I'm sorry, yeah. Daniel. You know, you might think you know what yeah. you're doing, but we know better sitting in our bunker or wherever in Wellington. That, and I think that's, yeah. the, that's the point, isn't it, Daniel? Because, you know, the, the whole um, flavour of the meeting the other night, if you like, was them saying we have to make sure that there's no risk to life when we make these decisions about whether you can go and stay. And yet the risk to not to life on that night was not a consideration because nobody got evacuated so you know people are, we're losing a community because they can't look after us and um it should be that they mitigate it so people can go back to their lives yeah well there's a risk to life just walking out the front door it absolutely is you know yep. in the real world mm. okay yep. um anyone like to say you know, a last piece, anything that's on their mind before we say our goodbyes to this chat anyway? Um, well, I just sort of think that this whole zoning process has been quite cruel. 
um, the first part of it, you know, the, they, they put out an email to every property owner and said, this is the zone that you're in. And the reason they did that is because the government had promised that they'd get back to the communities really fast, and they have. But the 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 actual information that they've given is well, it's it's not decisive. That's what they've told us. It's not actually the the last decision yet. We've still got, you know, on the fourteenth we hear from the experts about you know the flood planning and all this sort of stuff. You trust the experts? Yes. Do you, Daniel? Um, more about that than me. Hard to say. Uh, they, they're not local. Yeah, and I, I mean, when people they, say independent, I always think, oh, yeah, but who's paying them? There's no independence, is there, in anything? But, you know, besides that, it's it, to me, it's like, well, 14th, we find that out, and then we find something else out. My community's in 2A. 2A means that if there's adequate mitigation that can be done, then they might move to a one. If not, they might move to a three. So we've got people that are just in limbo again, and it's a very stressful, cruel time. So everyone was so excited on the 31st of um, May that they were going to get this decision, and they didn't get anything, absolutely nothing. I think the meeting the other night gave our community, you know, from the 2A point of view, um, a little bit of hope that maybe there's something that's going to be, you know, a resolution for them but they still don't know whether they're going to be a one or three, and then they'll be in the same boat as Daniel. Like, am I allowed to move on with my life or aren't I? Probably not. Yeah, I think uh, for a lot of people that got zoned Category 3, I think it gave um, some relief to them as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know there's certainly a, a portion of the community who had horrific experiences and they want to leave, so that gives them some certainty. And then there's another portion of our community who's staying regardless and because uh, they can't force us off the land. So if they're staying regardless, um, it's interesting because it can't be that dangerous if they're not forcing them to move away. Or is it just a um, – does the responsibility just shift from the councils and the powers that be to the individuals? If it's uh, if it's aimed category three because it is that risky to life, how come we're allowed to stay if we assume all the risk? Yeah, yeah, ourselves. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit hypocritical. But there are people in our community who are staying regardless. They're multi generational. They're not leaving. They'll just rebuild and live there, and they know what the risk is. Yeah, and I guess um, what comes out of this, apart from everything we've been talking about in the last 40 minutes, is that just trust gets smashed to pieces, doesn't it? Trust just evaporates, it goes, and you can't get it back easily. Mm. Is that fair? No. Yeah, trust in civil defence and was pretty low um, in our community, unfortunately. Uh, they got it wrong on the night, and it needs to be addressed properly, and it's not just for our community, it's for all the communities by a river. Which is a lot of New Zealand, yeah. and um, you know, have there been any apologies? Has anyone actually said I'm sorry? sorry? One councillor said they got it wrong. Yeah, one that was early on, eh, Daniel? That was um, Neil Kershaw yeah. from Regional Council. Yeah, oh, okay. He said they got it wrong, and he admitted it, and that was people like that. Um, but from civil defence themselves, no. 
I haven't seen a Labour candidate out in our area to talk to the business owners. Um, yeah, so it's pretty disappointing. We're feeling forgotten. Yeah, and, that's um, the main thing. Well, we haven't forgotten you. Mm, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, this is yeah. the third occasion that we've had in-depth chats mm. with people who yeah. who were right there and uh, and over time. So we've been trying to understand, you know, the progression. So, and our and listeners probably on the on the positive note to end <laughs> is that you know there's been some magnificent people that have. Um, come and volunteer from all over New Zealand. Yep, we've heard about and, them too. Yeah, yep. just it's phenomenal. And, you know, local businesses that just keep gifting, gifting, you know, food and um, grocery vouchers and all sorts of things. So there is a lot of, I think, you know, like like anything, it brings out the best in people, but it brings out the worst in people. We just don't want to be forgotten. And, you know, I really want to thank you for keeping this alive and um you've got to kind of be here to believe what's going on. And I never thought I'd live in a New Zealand that's just left, left people so vulnerable and to the bottom. It's really sad. It's so sad to hear. Uh, so uh, thank you, Louise. And Daniel, thanks for coming on and, and giving us your perspective and telling your story. We appreciate that. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Thanks for your time. And all the best to you, to all of you, okay? Thank you. Yes. Thanks so much. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.